Hey, everybody. Today, my guest is United States Marine Corps two-star general, William F. Mullen. General Mullen is on a mission to get people to think, especially his young Marines, getting them thinking about big decisions that could change their lives, drinking and driving, suicide, the sort of things that unfortunately plague people in the military. In this episode, we talk about how General Mullen is setting the example, always thinking. We talk about why he reads four books per week. We talk about how he's become so influential in the Marine Corps. And we talk about what you can do to be a better mentor. Let's go to the interview. So General Mullen, how did the movie Secondhand Lions inspire your What It Takes to Be a Man speech? In, um, in Secondhand Lions, that movie, you know, Robert Duvall, Michael Caine are in this cafe, you know, just kind of quietly sitting there with their nephew and these punks come in and, you know, pick a fight with them. And mm. because Robert Duvall's had this history of, you know, foreign legion and all this other stuff, he proceeds to kick, kick their butt. It's actually pretty funny because... Haley Joe Osmond turns to Michael Caine and goes, well, are you going to help him? And Michael Caine looks over and goes, oh, there's only about three or four of them. That, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair fight. You know, I, I, he doesn't help. And it's it's funny. And then he bring, Robert Duvall has them all over to the house, cooks steaks for them, you know, the steaks that they actually were holding over their black eyes because um, it's the 1950s, and I guess that's what you did then. And, um, and then he just has that discussion with them to try and, you know, Help them be better men and stop being knuckleheads. And uh, it's huge. You know? yes. Both my son and I, it's one of our favorite films. Uh, we've watched it a couple of times together. And um, what was interesting is he, he actually asked me, he's, uh, he'll be uh, 29 in October. Um, he actually asked me, he's like, well, what would you say if you were to give a, what it means to be a man speech? And that's what prodded me to, I, you know, I, he asked me that in an email. So I sent him an email that included a lot of things that were in the article. And then I expanded it to an article length, um, and got it published in our Marine Corps Gazette, which is the professional journal of the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, and people liked it. I got a lot of, a lot of comments. And so I figured, okay, well, Again, going back to my experience as battalion commander, if you just take the time to explain some of these things and help them understand, you know, hopefully the light bulb comes on and they think before they act. Mm-hmm. And if I can only, you know, influence, you know, a couple of people and help them make better decisions, that's fine with me. It's better than what we, you know, because another aspect of this is a senior leader of the Marine Corps, we see all the reports on people that have caused problems across the Marine Corps, an organization with 86,000 Marines. And um, some of them, you just shake your head like, God almighty, if I could just, if I could just have stopped them and, and hang on a second, stop, think, think about what you're doing <laughs> and prevented, prevented what just happened. You know, in some cases, um, it's either a suicide or car accident, you know, with uh, drinking and driving, no seatbelt, you know, it's a lot of the typical things that young people screw up and you just it's like, it's a shame to watch. Yeah, and with the Marines especially, I, w- I was in the Navy, and it seemed when I would talk to Marine leaders, they would say, these are my Marines. There's this sense of responsibility yeah. in the Corps. What, what's that yeah, about? Yeah, um, Have you seen, you, you've probably heard of Simon Sinek, right? Oh, yes, big fan. Yeah. He wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last. Mm-hmm. He, he, the, the impetus behind that book was a discussion he had with a Marine Lieutenant General that talks about exactly 
what we're talking about now, what you just asked. You know, we, our younger, our youngest Marines, they eat first. And it's not just the fact that they eat first, it's we take care of them first, we make sure you know, they have what they need. Um, I mean, that's our emphasis. Leaders eat last, that's what you do in the Marine Corps. You know, you take care of yourself last, you make sure your Marines are taken care of first. And I mean, that permeates everything we do in trying to make sure, because they're our most important asset. They're the ones that get the mission accomplished. Mm. You know, I mean, the last people on, t- you know, the, the actually the first people on the objective um, in the face of the enemy are our most junior Marines. So they're the ones fighting their way in, you know, and they're absolute bid for success. And we have to ensure they understand these things. Um, and for, you know, when you look at other aspects of these people, um, there's somebody's son, somebody's daughter, somebody's brother or sister, father or mother, you know, and that makes you feel even more strongly that you got to try and help take care of them. Um, and then the, the aspect of, you know, on a more fiscal level of how much it costs to recruit them, train them, bring them in, um, get them to the point where they're fully ready to be deployed to combat. I mean, that's, that's an enormous investment mm-hmm. on top of everything else that's more important, but also, you know, this is a significant part. And they're all members of the team. I mean, you lose somebody from the team, especially to something stupid. It's just when I was a battalion commander, we had a machine gunner um, that was hit in the head by a sniper Hmm. and he survived it. As a matter of fact, he was an immigrant from Africa who was just a great young man, really enthusiastic. Um, The the bullet obviously didn't do a whole lot of damage, um, the blood a lot, because he's taking pictures himself of, you know, he's taking selfies (laughs) as he's on the stretcher being carried away. And it's like, would you put that away? (laughs) And um, we returned from deployment and he gets out of the Marine Corps and he's still on terminal leave and he gets killed in a car accident. He was doing over 100 miles an hour. He was drunk, no seatbelt. Three other people in the car with him were wearing seatbelts. He rolled the car they survived he, he died and you're just kind of like you have got to be kidding me mm. so sir there's there's a, a thing that you talk about in the article that self-discipline is yes the root of success and it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is instilling discipline in people and that good decision making how do you build self-discipline the choices you make every single day mm. It is a slow, um, methodical process of making yourself do what you need to do. It's, you know, um, one of the things I found, obviously, I'm pretty far along in life and in my career. Um, I found that I don't have time to exercise as I'm required to do in the Marine Corps during the day. So I get up early in the morning. You know, I've been out late the night before to get the exercise in because I know if I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to get it during the day. So that's some type of self-discipline the um it's you know it's eating right it's how you treat people around you it's you know getting after all aspects of your job i mean especially when things are you know it's it's raining uh it's cold uh, it's muddy you know it's it's miserable you know and the last thing or what you want to do is leave your nice warm safe dry place uh, to go do what's required of you i mean that's self-discipline but it's it's personal choices you make every day um, to do the harder right versus the easier wrong. Hmm. It, it seems that a counter to this could be thinking that you're kind of above these things or having a big ego. How Absolutely. Do you, how do you handle ego? And, and you are you are a general in the Marine Corps. I mean, you are you are someone right. who is esteemed. How do you still temper that today? 
Well, further down the article, what you uh, you know, one of the things I talk about is ego is the enemy because mm-hmm. I've seen more people ruined because, and especially at my level, because of their overweening ego from the standpoint of you know. We have a saying in the Marine Corps, hey, you know, you were appointed, not anointed, <laughs> um, which means get over yourself and doesn't work with everybody. You know, there's as people get, you know, you become a commander at the lieutenant colonel 05 level. That's the first time you really get put in charge of something like a battalion. I mean, that's kind of heady stuff. And mm-hmm. one of the first things I tell people is your biggest impediment to success is your own ego, because it's not about you. It's about the team you've been given the temporary privilege of leading and making sure you do it right. And, and you have them fully prepared. Um, and then you're going to turn them over to somebody else and you need to get over it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I try very hard to to not, you know, let ego get in the way of things when I'm trying to make decisions. You know, I look at why I re- I'm resisting um, something that somebody's advised me and if it's only because it wasn't my idea well that's that's the wrong answer and the other piece is I'm, I, I read voraciously um, I finish between three and four books a week because I'm thoroughly convinced that I'll never ever be smart enough and what I'm worried about is running into a problem that I have no idea what to do about mm-hmm. and so I just I get after things um, I get after reading just to try and push off that time mm-hmm yeah, our, our, so we both know Captain Lodeman, and he he introduced us, yes. and uh, he says that you are the most well-read person that he knows. How did you build that habit? I'm, so many people tell me they wish they had more time to read. Well, and I actually, believe it or not, um, I do a presentation, and I've given it a number of different times, and I call it, uh, in the military, PME is professional military education. Mm-hmm. I call it the PME on PME. And it's the importance mm. of personal professional development. As a matter of fact, not reading and not studying and not getting better. Some people call that malpractice. And mm. so that's – and one of the things I tell them is like, you know, people – I hear that fairly frequently. I don't have time to read. But if you evaluate how you spend your time, I think you're going to find you have more time than you think you do. Things like – and I'm certainly not saying don't watch TV because I do on occasion. <laughs> um, but it's like – how much time do you spend watching TV? And one thing to tell them is there's been studies that say there's more brainwave activity when you're asleep than you are when you're watching television. Hmm. So how much time do you spend on blogs, reading things that aren't um, vetted probably from the standpoint of it's just somebody else's opinion? One of the things I'm concerned about, are you familiar with Peter Singer's book, Like War? Ooh, I haven't heard of that one, sir. Yeah, it's that's really good. It's social media and mm. the effects of social media, especially what the Russians are doing, trying to take advantage of the fact that we got a lot of people in what are called echo chambers, where if it, you know, they're all in their own little group, they're all talking to each other, they all agree with each other, mm-hmm. and they're reinforcing each other's, you know, in this echo chamber, and the Russians are all over that. And what I'm concerned about is a lot of our young folks, if it comes over, comes over their phone or it's on social media, they take a hook, line, and sinker if it's what they want to believe, and that makes them more susceptible being led around by the nose. And we've got to have critical thinkers that can look at things kind of going, hang on, you know, back off a little bit. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that comes from reading and from studying. And I take advantage of, you know, audio books, e-books, regular books. I always always have them with me. Um, The uh, one of the things I do that kind of blows people's mind is I I exercise by listening while I'm listening to books hmm. and I swim at least twice a week and I have a waterproof iPod shuffle with earplugs and my watch counts laps. I'm listening to a book. <laughs> I cruise, for, you know, about an hour and then see if I hit the number of laps that I need and then I'm done. 
and I'm listening <laughs> to a book the whole time. I'm mentally, I'm not even there, except to make sure I don't run into the wall. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's incredible. I, I, you know, I talk to a lot of folks who love books and you know, they, they listen to them while they run and things like that. But to make the commitment to it, to, to take those extra steps, to have the waterproof device and everything for the water, that's tremendous. Yeah, and there's, you know, we have the advantage of um, this. There's the Navy General Library program online. So mm-hmm. it's ebooks and audiobooks for free. And I've been just tearing that thing up because they've got a great collection. And then we have our on base here uh, at Quantico. We've got a really good library here, research library. So I can, you know, and I always have a list of books I'm going after. And I always have about 15 to 20 that I'm reading at the same time, kind of switching back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I, I finished about three to four a week, but I've built up to that over time. Um, began because it's as important as is as it is to me. Plus, you know, my wife and I are empty nesters. So we don't have kids running around. It's mm-hmm. always harder when you have young kids. Um, you got to pay attention to them and sitting there reading a book unless you read it to them, which I did. I read books to my kids from when they were um, just about old enough to sit still till my daughters, I have twin daughters, all the way into high school with them. They just loved it. And, um, and their, um, their ability to read themselves, you know, their, um, vocabulary, um, they were way ahead of their peers. Um, and I, I suspect it's because of all the reading I did to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. General, what do you think it is about the medium of a book as compared to other ways that information can be communicated that makes it so powerful? It's a very personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, and it's, it's something you have to do as opposed to the television, which just kind of happens, you know, it just kind of happens there in front of you. And the book require reading a book requires so much more imagination because you mm-hmm. have to imagine, especially if it's a story, you have to imagine the setting of the story. And obviously some authors are much better than others about portraying what's going on. Um, but it's, you're, you're engaging emotions, you're engaging imagination, you're engaging, there's activity, you know, there's, there's just so much to it. Um, and then, because one of the other things that I talk about is the um, engaging the desire to learn, the burning desire to to know. You know, it's you get some folks that, especially in our line of work, where you know that the ones that say hey, I'm too busy to read, and then they run into something they have no idea what to do about, and you get that stunned mullet look. And and <laughs> I mean, in combat, that's that's particularly bad. One of the examples mm-hmm. I used, I don't know if you heard of General William Westmoreland. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in charge of Vietnam for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he graduated from the West Point in 1936. By the World War II in 1945, less than 10 years later, he was a full bird colonel and Whoa. was um, uh, in, had been in charge of an artillery regiment in combat. So he was convinced he, he knew it all. Mm-hmm. Never studied again. Um, he was offered the chance to go to the Army War College as a student. He turned it down, told him he'd go there as an instructor if he wanted, but not as, not as a student. Never read anything. He gets there to Vietnam for four years. He's faced with you know, a difficult fight, but he had two tasks. One is to figure out what type of fight you're in, and the second thing is to figure out what to do about it, and he failed on both accounts. Mm. And there's a guy named Louis Sorley, S-O-R-L-E-Y, a retired Army colonel who wrote two books. One is Westmoreland, The Man Who Lost the War. How'd you like a book written about you like that? <laughs> and the second one is A Better War, and it's about Creighton Abrams, who took over for, for uh, Westmoreland, who understood what was required um, and started to implement it 
but it was too late because the American public was like, hey, we're done. Forget it. Pull the plug. And that's not the American public's fault. That's our fault. We weren't we weren't professional enough to figure that thing out and win it. And we almost did the same thing again in Iraq. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of this seems to come back to making mistakes and how you handle them. And another thing you mentioned in the article, we're both big fans of uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And if someone yeah. is robust or anti-fragile, they can learn from mistakes. And if they're fragile, then mistakes are just mistakes. How do you make sure that you learn from mistakes? Um, well, the first thing to realize is that it's not not a permanent condition unless... You know, the, the action you take to deal with that mistake, you know, you know, a permanent solution to a temporary problem, which is committing suicide. Mm. And we're, you know, just like across the United States public, um, we're having a problem in the Marine Corps with our young folks. Um, we had a young Marine that broke up with his girlfriend or his girlfriend broke up with him on the phone. Uh, he, he t- you know, turned off his cell phone, went and laid down in traffic right there and mm. was killed. And it's not like you have got to be kidding me. And so. It, it, getting people to realize, hey, look, this is just a temporary condition. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's you know you you've got you got challenges. You know uh, you're depressed, whatever. But how you deal with this is a measure of a man. I mean, it's how much character you have to be able to say, okay, pick myself up, keep moving. There's other fish in the sea. Or yes, I tripped and fell, uh, but I picked myself up, dust myself off, and I I'm I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to get back at it. Nothing's permanent unless you make it permanent by doing something stupid like suicide. Mm. Yeah. And when we're trying to be there for other people too, you, you, you've also talked about listening and how that yes. can affect people. How does listening help when it seems like it's not, um, it's not an active solution? Um, what's interesting is I really watch people closely mm-hmm. and you can always tell when you're having a discussion with somebody, whether they're listening to you or not. And I'm sure you probably had the same experience. You're trying to have a discussion with somebody, and they're clearly not listening because they're thinking about what they want to say next, or or um, they're trying to interrupt you, or whatever it is. How satisfying is that? <laughs> not at all. It's pretty frustrating. Mm-hmm. But when somebody's genuinely actively listening, you know, and making affirming noises, and yeah, okay, I get it, and asking, you know, questions directly related to what you're talking about. I mean, how does that make you feel? Oh, it's the best. You know, that there's a conversation like that last night. It was great. Yeah. Exactly. And did, did somebody give you any advice in that conversation? <laughs> Not a word. <laughs> exactly. But it was helpful to you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because sometimes you just need to, to kind of think out loud and bounce it off somebody and, and see how they react to it. And you're not necessarily looking for advice. You're just kind of looking for a sounding board. And, uh, you know, of course, I worked in dogs and that because I absolutely love dogs. And, man, they just – when they look at you <laughs> – <laughs> amazing you know they're just sitting there staring at you you know they you're the best thing in the world to them and that's why i think people really love talking to dogs and stuff because well they don't interrupt you but they they're just they're all there for you there's nothing else in the world going on for them right then and there except for you and that's that's enormously helpful which is why i think people have service dogs to help with pts and other things because dogs are just such a calming influence Mm. yeah they're the best so uh, this this idea of listening to people, of, of dropping the ego, it could, it could be linked back a lot to humility. And you've said that humility is both attractive and admirable. I wonder, how do, yes. you, how do you cultivate that in, in an organization that literally prides itself on being the few and the proud? Well, there's a way to be proud of mm-hmm. the organization and proud of Marines without being 
overly proud of yourself. I mean, it's not bad to be proud of yourself as long as you don't wear it on your sleeve and you push it in other people's face. Um, but the, the humility piece really comes in from the standpoint of understanding that I don't have all the answers. There are other people that, you know, just because they disagree with me, don't mean that doesn't mean that they're stupid, uh, which people automatically assume sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it means that, you know, you can learn from anybody to include the youngest PFC, um, or, you know, people that are older you, people around you, you know, it's, it's having that mindset. Are you familiar with Carol Dweck yes. and her writings about mindset? Yes. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. So it's that growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset, fixed mm-hmm. mindset. That's, that's all related to ego. You know, I'm afraid to fail, so I'm not even going to try. Um, I don't want to look bad. You know, um, that's, that's all ego really mm-hmm. is. So get people to understand that, you know, there was a great saying, and I'm, I'm probably going to screw it up, but um, ego isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself, I think, if I, if I got that correctly. Mm. Mm. And, General, this, this fixed mindset, growth mindset thing, it comes back to something else that you talked about, which is improvement versus competition. How can we be more focused on improving rather than beating people? Compete against yourself. Mm-hmm. Always trying to do, the, you know, the, first of all, is ensuring that you do the best that you can possibly do, regardless of what others are doing. You, know, you don't worry about them. You know, you focus and you do the best that you possibly can with the task at hand. Um, or you get your team to do the best you possibly can with the task at hand. Um, and that competing aspect, it's, it's particularly hard in the military um, because you're up for your next rank against your peers. And so some people take that, you know, as a zero sum game and um, kind of step over, step on others. And I, I think we have less of that in the Marine Corps. At least I, I like to think we do, though we do still have some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've seen some of the other services have a real challenge with it because, what a, you know, it go, again, goes back to ego. It's all about me. I'm the best. I'm going to show everybody I'm the best. And in some cases, I'm going to make other people look bad just so I look good by comparison. None of which is either useful or productive or, I mean, it's, that's not teamwork. That, you know, that, that doesn't foster cohesion. If anything, it takes away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's so human too that to want to have the sense that other people are, are rooting for you and bettering themselves. And you, you mentioned too, that smiles are really great for this. They're free, that yep. they're contagious. Yep. Well, there's one thing that, um, I'm going to put in there. I didn't put in the article. I went to a, a course uh, called Leadership at the Peak in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And to get out there, it was during the winter, so you know the plane traffic was all screwed up, and we had to wait on the tarmac in this little tiny airplane while they de-iced the airplane. Um, I'm 6'3", 220. I don't fit in these little planes very well, mm-hmm. so I'm already antagonized. I don't like sitting still for long periods of time, enforced sitting, if, if you look, know what I mean. And we finally pull into the gate and I'm just anxious to get it up and going. And I'm like, come on, you know, and waiting for them to put the gate up. And I look back to the seat behind me and there's this lady sitting there. Um, she's uh, Kenyan. I got to know her cause she was actually in the course with us. As I something found out just the nicest person you ever to meet. She's just sitting there calmly with a nice smile on her face. And they just looked over at her and her smile caused me to smile. And I felt mm. better. And it's like, that is just enormous. You know? Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Well, General Mullen, before I ask my last question, if people want more of these insights from you, if they want to find you online, where should they look for you? Uh, geez, online. Um, 
the best way to get a hold of me is via email. Um, and because uh, that, I, I move around a lot, a lot going on. I, I don't spend a lot of time blogging or doing other things like that. Um, maybe I should establish a site. I don't know, but I, you know, the, the email thing is probably the best. Um, and it's WF Mullen at earthlink.net because the good part about email is it's always there and I will always respond to it. It may take me a little bit, but I will always, resp always respond to it. Um, but I should probably do some other venues and maybe you can help me with that from the standpoint of what would you recommend? All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll start by putting a link to your article. Uh, we'll put that link in the show notes so that anybody who's listening to this can check out that article and, and get familiar with your ideas in writing. There's another article I wrote that just came out in this month's Gazette. It's called A Warrior's Mind, and it's about my thoughts on reading, and I have a recommended reading list. Um, so you may want to check that one out, too. But it, it covers some of the themes you and I just talked about. Excellent. Yes, we'll put uh, both of those down in the show notes for anybody who's listening and wants to get familiar with more of your writing. And then that book that I'm, again, that's, I'm working on it. I, I try not to put a time on it because I don't want to be artificial with deadlines, and that kind of thing, but um, I'm making steady progress with it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, General Mullen, my final question is that yes. you, you talked at the end of the article about how we get the organization that we mentor. You get the Marine Corps that you mentor. And I wonder okay. what can a leader do to be a better mentor to those around them? Uh, the first part is, first thing is to make time. Mm. Um, especially at, at my level, you got all the gatekeepers, you know, aides, um, staff secretaries, and other folks that try and protect your time and fend people off. And I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Mm. I tell people that, you know, I'll, I'll strike up a conversation with somebody at first, you know, out, get out and about. I call leadership by walking around. Other people have used that term also. But when you run into somebody, you encounter somebody, talk to them and say, okay, you know what? Send me an email. Um, we'll set up a time. You're going to come in and sit down and talk to me. Or here's my aide's number. Talk to my aide and get in, you know, get in, sit down and talk to me. It's that taking the time piece that absolutely starts things because a lot of folks, especially the more junior folks, don't know how to start that conversation, don't know how to, you know, they would love to sit down and have a conversation, but they're intimidated and they don't want to do it. So I mm. tell them to do it saying, you know, hey, use my name, tell me, tell them. And my aide knows, you know, the people around my office know that I do that. And, and unless we take the time to do that, you know, how are we going to ensure that folks coming along behind us are doing good things, doing the right things, you know, coming along the way they need to come along, making good decisions, you know, trying to help them with that. Um, the only way we can is by being involved with them. Mm -hmm. And they're far more important to the Marine Corps than I am because I may be around for what, maybe another couple of years at most. I mean, if we do things right, they're going to be around for 20, maybe 30 years, you know, but 33 right now, some of them could be in the Marine Corps for 33 years, have an enormous positive impact if we can help them make the right decisions early on. The only way you can help them is if you're engaged and you're talking to them and you've made the time to do that. Excellent. Well, General Mullen, thank you so much for having this conversation. You're welcome. You're welcome. That was United States Marine Corps two-star general William F. Mullen. And if you want to help us get more great guests like this on the show, then be sure to give us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That's a huge help, and we'll catch you next time.